Hi, welcome to episode 43 of Talk About the Passion, Loose. As with all episodes of this podcast, this one is named after a song, particularly the song Loose by the Stooges. A few of these episode titles may have some deep meaning attached to the conversation, but since this conversation was pretty loose and we talked a little bit about the Stooges, uh, it seemed to fit perfect and that's that. I've known uh, Dan Brockman for around 17 years now. My old man, Presley, played a a couple of shows with his band, The Hidden. Uh, He mentions he played uh, with his previous band, uh, Medea Connection, but I feel like it was The Hidden, actually. Regardless, uh, we don't actually talk much about either of those bands, and that was completely fine with me. I've always been interested in uh, Daniel as a writer, even back when we both frequented the Boston music scene, Message Board, The Noise Board which could be a, you know, a pretty obnoxious place from time to time. On the occasion, though, where there was a, you know, a serious music thread, Dan would all, you know, always form these long, sort of well-thought-out replies that may, you know, may have well have been like an essay for someone like me. And then, of course, you know, the usual troll would just reply with, yeah, well, you know, Genesis sucks. And, you know, you'd think, oh, man, really? Come on. Anyway, uh, Dan then, you know, became published on a number of local and international magazines and websites, uh, Vanya Land, uh, Spin, Rolling Stone. Uh, his, his writing is heavy and provocative, and, I lo- you know, I love his views on music, even the ones I don't necessarily agree with. I was glad to have this conversation. Uh, we hadn't spoken in a while, so it was nice to catch up, and he's always an amazing person to just listen to talk about music. He's got some... Uh, Really interesting opinions and ideas, and uh, as you'll hear on this, this in this conversation does go all over the place, I th- you know. And I think it came out great. We talk, uh, you know, mostly about uh, journalism and, and that kind of thing, and uh, you know, some of the challenges he's had interviewing people like John Lydon and Danzig, and then doing uh, people like Robin Hitchcock, who he wasn't that familiar with. Uh, this might be the only person I think too where I could have a conversation that begins at the Dave Matthews Band and then somehow ends up at the Stooges. Anyway, enough about me. I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Please give me a follow there to stay in touch and keep up to date when new episodes are coming out. You can also contact me there if you or someone you know would like to be on this podcast. So just uh, send me a message there and we can set something up. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, even YouTube at this point. Just search for Talk About the Passion podcast and you should be able to find me. Anyway, let's start this up. Episode 43, Loose with Daniel Brockman. Thanks for listening. Cool. All right, so I'm here. Well, I'm not here. I'm on the phone with... Uh, my good friend Daniel Brockman, how you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, thank good. you. Good to hear. <laughs> um, where where did you grow up? You grew up in Syracuse, is that correct? Oh fuck me! Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, I grew up in a few places, but yeah. mostly Syracuse, New York. Yeah. yeah. And as a as a kid, did you? How early were you getting into music and, and entertaining? <laughs> uh, you know, I've listened to a number of interviews you've done with other people, and I feel like I am. I am like the dorkiest uh, <laughs> example of everyone because like whenever I, especially people who are into the hardcore yeah. the 80s, yeah. like, okay, my, I didn't, I didn't see a show of any kind until late 80s. Right. And the first concert I ever went to was fucking post Peter Cetera, Chicago at the New York <laughs> State 
affair with my father. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, 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 by that point, like, you know, we're talking 88, yeah. you know, yeah, and yeah. like, so any, any, any cool thing that would have happened before then didn't know about it. <laughs> right, like, right. you know, it was nothing but listening to weird Al and yeah. shit like that. And, and, uh, and so, um, like stuff may have come through Syracuse. Right. Apparently it was, there was some cool stuff. I knew nothing about it. The first real club concert I ever saw was when the dead milkman and Mojo Nixon came to the lost horizon in Syracuse. The lost horizon was like the big punk club. And it's mostly renowned for having had an enormous pole in the center of the stage. Uh. So like anytime I would ever read stuff years, you know, over the years in Syracuse where people like legendary bands would talk about coming to Syracuse or coming to the lost. It was always like, Oh, oh yeah, that that place with the the giant pole in the center of the stage. And I was like, that's what we're known for. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the Paradise used to be, I guess. Oh yeah, but they had that big pole. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was like if the Paradise were smaller yeah. and the pole were right on the stage. Right. Like uh, there must have, I don't know, there must have been some union thing or some code right. reason. Huh. But. Um, yeah, and I remember I remember seeing the Dead Milkman and Mojo Nixon. The opening band was Boston Legends, the Cave Dogs, who I've never heard a note of since that yeah, show. Yeah. Um, but uh, but um, I remember, you know, at that point it was probably '89 or so, and I'd seen a couple like larger shows, and all I could think was like, I'd been listening to Dead Milkman for like five years, and they were like my favorite band in the world. Right. And seeing them on this like little stage, well, what I thought right. with this, you know, it was a sold out crowd, but I was like, I just felt bad for them. I, I was just doing the whole show. I was just doing the math in my head. And I was like, I was like thinking, oh man, they're not making any money off of the show. <laughs> like it was literally what I was thinking of my first club <laughs> show. I was like, man, they're not, you know, they're not the big stars. I thought they were <laughs> like, they're just playing this rinky dink little place. And, you know, I'm sure to them, this was like the highlight. This right. was like when... Punk Rock Girl was on MTV. I, I have a feeling for them, this was like, this was their raking in the cash moment that right. would never happen again. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, that was my, that was my impression um, of like a club concert. Yeah. But then, I don't know, then the early nineties happened and I was in college and then I saw everything. And yeah. It was always in clubs and stuff. And then it, then it, then it wasn't, wasn't cool to see larger shows yeah. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you, and you went to college in uh, Virginia, right? Yeah, that's right. I went yeah. to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, which meant that I saw the Dave Matthews Band at least five times without intending to see them at <laughs> parties and and things like that, which is to this day uh, just a baffling yeah. phenomenon <laughs> to me. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, now they're playing, uh, still, I don't know if they're still playing stadiums, but... That is, uh... They were they were playing stadiums while I was in college. They went from band playing a club to playing stadiums in a, about three years of yeah. my being at college. That's crazy. So like it, it was. I mean, I don't know. I I honestly think in all of my years since I have never seen a band of any local whatever get that big that quickly. Yeah. It'll probably never happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Like. You know, even like I don't know when you're in Bo- we were in Boston and you know what name whatever big band from Boston, the Dresden Dolls or whatever, they didn't get big, that right. big. And they didn't yeah. get back to that that they didn't get that big that quickly. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's absolutely like, and imagine, 
Imagine it's like the worst band you've ever seen, and <laughs> they got big. I, I right, you know, right. The yeah, other thing yeah. I always, the other thing I always think about the first couple of times, God, the sentence, the first couple of times I saw the Dave Matthews Band, uh, I thought it was 1991, mm-hmm. and I thought, yeah, uh, these guys are talented, but what? kids would never be into this kind of music. Right. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, okay, you've got um, these middle-aged jazz guys and this this guy in pajamas playing an acoustic guitar and a saxophonist. <laughs> right. And I was, and you know, the bassist that, the, that I, I guess he's still their bassist, he, his dad owned like the music shop in town in Charlottesville. Oh, right. yeah, so. Stefan Lassard, so his dad was Ron Lassard who owned Lassard's mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and so I was like, oh, it's, you know, <laughs> this is just, like I knew who these people were. They were right. like the guys who like hung around town. Uh, the the violin player who I recently read had been kicked out of the band in some Me Too related scandal. He was uh. like, he was like, he had this band prior to being in the Dave Matthews band called the Boyd Tinsley Band. And okay. he was, it was like, he played like electric violins for all these pedals and distortion. And I, I saw them once randomly. I used to go to, you go to, you go to college, you go to a club without knowing who you're seeing. seeing, I saw him one time and he was just shredding. I was like, wow, he rules. And then like, I remember, uh, you know, a year later seeing him on MTV and like a Dave Matthews tour (laughs) jacket on stage. And I was like, he's playing like Koda and shit. And I was like, man, (laughs) I could see why you did it, buddy, but that sucks. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know. And now, now, and then now I'm one of those people who's like, oh, I remember when before, you know, you sold out. Oh, God, I know, and it's not even like a good one that you can brag about, like that you, you know, oh, exactly. I it's the worst. <laughs> it, to me, it's emblem, emblematic of the '90s. The yeah. '90s suck, and like, all, I remember at the time, I don't know, people our age. We're like, oh man, we're you know we're gonna see our you know you meet old guys who are like I saw Hendrix in like right. '68 or whatever yeah. you know, I saw you know I remember you know uh, people like I saw I saw the Who and they right. didn't really have amps so yeah. they broke <laughs> that was fake or whatever right. and I was like oh man we're gonna get our chance to you know <laughs> see our things and like. At a certain point, I hit like thirty something, and I was like, "I think that was it." Yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> I think what yeah. I saw there was it. <laughs> yeah, no one's gonna care that I saw a steel pole bathtub, thirty-five. Right, years right, <laughs> right. Like I don't know. I remember, I remember like seeing My Bloody Valentine at UVA um, with Dinosaur Jr. and the ever ubiquitous Super Chunk as the opener, mm-hmm. and. And uh, I remember being like, oh, man, this is the show I'm going to tell my grandkids about or whatever. And I get older and I'm like, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, they're right. really loud. Yeah. They're like, wow, a loud band? Who, who knew? Like, <laughs> new bands play loud. Wow, that's crazy. Right. <laughs> Did you, uh, were you playing uh, guitar as a, as a, when you were younger? Did you start that early? That's, fa- that's interesting. I, I, was a, I was a very late, I, I had like no... Not only did I have no musical training, mm-hmm. but I just had no musical, like, I had no interaction with live human beings playing instruments yeah. until I was, like, in college, basically, or mm-hmm. high school. I remember right. in, in high school, it was like, I feel like when I first got into rock, like, for real in high school and then college, it, it was like, um, I just wanted to be in proximity of a drum set. Right. Because like it's hard to get in proximity of a drum set. Um, they were really loud, and someone had to own one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, uh, 
I don't know. You'd go. I remember seeing like you know the Rolling Stones on the Steel Wheels tour, and you're like, yeah, look at that drum set a mile away from where I'm where I'm standing, <laughs> and and uh, that's pretty awesome. And and uh, you know, then when I was in college, I'd, I'd go to shows at clubs. It was just like, wow, I'm so close to this band playing. I, I remember <laughs> this is another uncool show I saw my first year at college. I saw Widespread Panic before mm. they were that big. Oh, and because I don't know, if, like you obviously remember, in 1991, everyone was like, uh, you know, the thing is going to be yeah, jam yeah. band. Yeah. That's going to oh, be yeah. it. Yeah, like, yeah I got you know, and, that for a few years. And, well, you know. why not? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, some of that stuff was pretty interesting. I, yeah. I remember being very into a band called All Good. Oh yeah, I remember uh, that, man! This man. conversation yeah. is not going where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> but like, <laughs> sorry, but like, yeah, yeah let's I was talk like about the misfits. But no, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> right? No, this, this is what I was trying to say at the beginning. Like, it's, this this conversation this is not going to be that cool if we're talking about my actual experience. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, I remember uh, widespread panic, and I saw all good numerous times. Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Rescue Unit. Yeah, that that this, band I, is I, interesting. I, actually, they. They stood out. Well, I what think. I realize now is I was in college in Virginia, which yeah. is, I guess, the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have uh, monuments to, to Robert E. Lee right. in your town. You're in the South. And, and, uh, and, and, and I think I was at, like, um, you know, ground zero for jam band um, ex- experimentation at yeah. college level apparently <laughs> so like all the cool stuff wasn't coming to charlottesville but i got to see all those bands like before they were big a year later and then petered out did uh did um none of those bands ever mixed though you like you wouldn't see like super chunk with you know no what it, but you know what's interesting but here's what's interesting to me about all that stuff was they were classic rock aspirants. Right. Yeah. So, for instance, like, you know, um, eventually the basis for the Aquarium Rescue Unit was this five-string player named O'Teal Burbridge, who has yeah. now been the basis for the Allman Brothers Band for 30 years at yeah. this point, probably. Yeah. Like, and the, the dead. So no, all those bands. with the dead, too, with, with uh, and the John dead. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. right. So it's like all this, all that stuff. I grew up listening to classic rock radio because, right. and and uh, when I went to college, it was, in 1991, uh, it was you know now everyone brands everything as like you know this uh, Nirvana alternative thing, right. but um, but it was still for me filtered through classic rock, right. and so those bands made sense to me, uh, not like I was being choosy, but right. like when I would see them, I was like, oh, I get this, this is music that sounds like um, the Allman Brothers Band. The Allman Brothers Band has been I've heard on the radio all the time. Um, you know, I can get this. <laughs> right. Um, and, uh, and and I feel like, um, I don't know, there, there, there was no cool stuff. It's funny because right when I was going to college, I guess probably the pavement people had like just left UVA and and were becoming enormously huge a year right. later with pavement and uh, so they had this like University of Virginia um, connection that I wasn't that privy to huh. and and uh, but you know I saw them a few times in Charlottesville and yeah. they 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 um, I don't know they were just a touring rock band right. <laughs> you know like anyone else yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know okay cool. <laughs> And you eventually made your way up to Boston, and that, that's how I know you from, from 
Right. My 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 wife my wife grew up grew up in Boston, and after UVA in '95, we moved we moved there, mm-hmm. and uh, so I moved there in the summer of '95, and uh, and yeah, I feel like 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 everything in my life. I arrived right when the party ended. Yeah. And so, <laughs> it was like I, when we got to when I got to UVA in 1991, there had been enormous drug busts. Right. At UVA in 1990, mm-hmm. um, and so the whole time I was there, people would whisper about this like legendary party scene of the University of Virginia and Charlottesville throughout the late the 80s and the late 80s. Oh man, you wouldn't believe the shit they used to do here. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> You know, but uh, but none of that happens now because right. everyone got busted. It's all over. <laughs> and like when I got to Boston, it was like, oh man, you know, you just missed it. This was the epicenter of this and that, and oh, there was all this stuff. And uh, but now it's a bunch of uh, you know IT workers uh, moonlighting as rock bands. Yeah, um, yeah they've got part. great websites, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's that was my that was my experience. Yeah. <laughs> so. And we and we met through the remember the noise board in Boston. I do remember the noise board, <laughs> and in fact, um, we met. Uh, well, I was my band, the Medea Connection, played with Presley. Yeah. Uh, at a noise board show put right. together by the noise board's um, uh, webmaster uh, Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, that was the time we shared a venue. Uh, I don't know if I actually met you at that show. I, I don't know. Yeah, it yeah. Was, I don't, but the the noise board. Was, I just remember being. It, we were on there, but there was ended up being like a branch off board because it was just a lot of noise. <laughs> so it was we had we had like a smaller one for a while, and uh, yes, the more of like yeah. more likable people. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> It was, you know, uh, I, this is, it's, it's so funny. Um, there was a while, I, you know, I think for Tanya and I, we were, we did a band in Boston for a very long time and it was just the two of us. And I think our experience was that it wasn't, we, we didn't like know anything about right. it. We weren't part of like um, any kind of like, we had never been like cool music scene people. Right. And, and so, uh, we were just like playing shows, and I think we had completely unrealistic expectations for mm-hmm. how it would work and how hard you would have to work, yeah. um, and 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 just how socially weird it would be. Right. And I think I, I got on the, I was on the noise board. I think at first thinking I was supposed to be promoting right. my band, yep. but eventually it became like a. Um, well, I was on. When I was in college, I was on like news groups. Oh yeah, I remember those. Like, <laughs> like rack, like dot, alt, like, alt yeah, music, alt, alternative yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. And you could get into music arguments with strangers, <laughs> yeah. and I really liked that. Yeah. And yeah. so the noise board was basically that. Yeah. And so, you know, I could um, be like, "Oh, I really uh, enjoy the music of Loverboy." Right. And everyone would be like, "That's really stupid." And right. And then five people would say me too and then those right. wound up being the people I hung out with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's yeah, cuz actually I think the first time I actually met you and I, I came to your house and we watched the uh the Journey documentary with uh, Mike Yeah. 
So <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah when, you, yeah, when you would zero, you know, zero in on those people and those boards where, you know, we didn't like this stuff. Ironically, it was just yeah, I actually like uh, Journey, and, you know, and Sticks. So you know, and I'm not afraid to to admit it. So it was it was cool to meet yeah. other people that you know because that, that's what a lot of those message boards are, and, and even you know social media now is just you know people. Wanting to show how <laughs> cool they are with their, you know, tastes or whatever. So I don't know. You know, it's very strange. I think about this a lot because, on the one hand, um, so everyone wants to be cool, um, but on the other hand, um, if you are very earnest about your weird thing you're into, you yeah. become like this weird fetishist. Right. So like, so like on Facebook, sometimes you find yourself members of groups. Mm-hmm. That you're like, what the fuck am I? Why am I? Why am I constantly being bombarded with weird, like fanatics of early '70s Genesis? And I'm like, oh right, because I'm one of those fanatics. Right. Yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah. these people are fucking weirdos, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I I feel like sometimes there's like a fine line because you want to find people that are um, that you can like chat about music with or find out interesting things. Uh, which was what was always great about things like the noise board. Um, but it always runs the risk of being becoming niche. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and at the same time, if it's, if you go in the other direction, then it's a bunch of people that don't like anything. Right. And, uh, and that becomes a drag as well. Yeah. It's just um, counterproductive and, discussion of music when, when people are just like, Oh, that sucks. That sucks. That's, you know. Which honestly, what really surprises me is how much that unites people. Yeah, yeah no, I know. Stuck. It's really, it's really. Um, the older I get, too, the more remarkable it is how how many people really enjoy not liking things. Yeah, no, like know, yeah, exactly. Performatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Game of Thrones, any of this kind of, uh, just you know, being the contrarian seems like a, I don't know. It's one thing to troll yeah. and be funny about it, like I, 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 I kind of try to do. And then there's yes. another thing when, you know, just collectively, you know, yeah, Game of Thrones is, is probably the, the biggest example currently for that. People yeah, are... I would agree. I I think, I don't know, it's really funny. I've I've thought, of, I've also thought a lot about being a contrarian because I think a lot of times I, I think if you really care about something a lot, you wind up becoming a contrarian because you get frustrated with other opinions when you right. think about them too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also, uh, if you're really interested in music, you're basically interested in debating music and right. in working out because there are no right answers. And so, right. you know, I don't know. I feel like you you enter into a post high school environment yeah. where you're like, okay, Led Zeppelin is good. So you go in with like Led Zeppelin is good, and then people will be like, they suck, <laughs> and you'd be like, how can you think that? They're good. They're Led Zeppelin. It's like water. You drink it. It's right. wonderful. And they're like, no, 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 they suck because uh, their songs are really sexist and they're really long and their songs are really boring and they're all about dragons. And uh, and you're like, well, there's some interesting ideas there, but I but um, I disagree, although I would say that um, the lyrical um, Tolkien content reveals that they probably didn't really read the book very closely. Right. <laughs> and yeah. people will be like, oh, well, no, I wasn't talking about that. I just wanted to make fun of Led Zeppelin. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah exactly. You know, right. <laughs> like, well, and so some people, so yeah, so some people it goes as far as this sucks. Yeah, and that's and, it. And uh, 
and I don't know. To me, it's kind of like um, I think if you're, I think if you at all have a mental life where you are occasionally depressed about things, mm-hmm. you can usually gauge it how good or bad you're doing by like how much you in music, how much you enjoy music. Right. So like if you're like music is awesome or this music is awesome, then you're probably doing all right. But if you're like, man, everything sucks. Uh, this music sucks. I hate music. I hate the music I used to like. That's usually like a red flag. Right. Right. And so like a lot of times, and the reason I bring that up is not to like get depressing. It's more like a lot of times when I talk to, when I talk to people or interact with people online where everything sucks, I always think, man, you must, are you guys, you know, are you just, is you just depressed about everything? Cause right. otherwise I have no ability to interact with this like depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I don't want to talk you off a ledge. I just want to talk right. about music. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I have to kind of cut those. In. And I was that guy for a long time. And I think when I met you in, in like Baldino, you kind of guys yeah. kind of got me out of that. Cause I was always like, Oh, there's no good new music. And then I think I heard like this first strokes record. I finally gave that a, or something like that. And, I was like, oh, there's some cool, you know, and then I just sort of got rid of that, which I'm glad I did. Well, you, it's, you know, you know, I will say though that like you're a person and you exist in a time and you don't have a lot of say over what what that time period is right. and what the mood of that time is. And so, like, the older I I get, the more I'm like, yeah, the '90s sucked, the 2000s sucked. These were terrible times. This music was shit. Um, the culture was shit. Everything was was um, not serious right. and not interesting. And like at any given time, you can cherry pick things and be like, "Well, that was cool," or "That was cool," but it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so, um, and so, I feel like when you grow up loving classic rock, you have a wide acceptance of things, but also an understanding that your own time means nothing and music is best appreciated uh, as history. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't see anything wrong with, I don't see anything incorrect about that. You know, like, right. like it's, I, I imagine being like the biggest Jimi Hendrix fan in the world. And then he fucking dies. Right. After, you know, three years <laughs> after you've heard of him, yeah. you'd be like, Oh, this is the worst <laughs> time in the world. You know, whereas 30 years later, you're like, all right, the yeah. 30th uh, Hendrix compilations <laughs> coming out. Right. I'm in heaven. Like yeah. so yeah. much music. <laughs> <laughs> That's our childhood. That's yeah, my yeah. childhood, at least. Right, you know, yeah. <laughs> you imagine like being a, I don't know, man. You imagine being like a young music obsessive in 1971, and like everyone's died. I know, and, right? Like, everything's depressing, <laughs> and Nixon's about to be elected. You're like, man, I would not have chosen this time. But like when I was in high school, I thought that was the apex of everything. Oh yeah. And like I wished I lived in 1971, 72, 73. <laughs> It, it's funny that way. You know what I mean? I think right. about that a lot. Like yeah. when you, so when you were uh, in college, were you, were you doing uh, writing too? Like me, like writing music, like write, write I wasn't, about music. No, no. And okay. it, you know, it's really funny. I, I, um, I started when I started writing, I started writing for the Phoenix in 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. But, Prior to that, my writing about music was almost zero. I right. did a few things for the Weekly Dig, um, but mostly I just like you know it was like message boards and and uh, and uh, you know news groups in, right. in college. But the, but the funny thing is that that um, I read, I started reading 
music criticism. And mm-hmm. so like two main things I read that they didn't like make me want to write because I didn't write when I read them, but right. they made me wish I was as good as them was number one, Chuck Eddy. Yeah. So Chuck Eddy wrote this book that I read in high school called Stairway to Hell yeah. that's ostensibly 500 best heavy metal albums of all time. It is oh, nice. not that at all. Right. And it is like he has a, a, a definition of metal that most people would, would make steam come out of their ears. <laughs> and mostly the whole book is an argument starter. Right. Uh, all of his entries are basically ripping apart things. There is no Iron Maiden or Judas Priest in the book. Right. Um, uh, and I remember it was the kind of book where, like, I when I was in high school, I used to go to like B Dalton and look in the music oh, yeah. section. B. I would see this book, and like I, you know, or or whatever. And the other one is I can't remember. Walden and like books. I, I would. Yes, Walden books. And like, man, and like, I remember like reading entries of this book and like being like, ho, 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 that's so funny. What a, or like, ho, ho, I don't understand this. Right. And it was like, and it was this, it was this thing where like, um, I don't know if everyone feels this way about music, but sometimes, especially in the pre-digital world, you would dip a toe into something that would display just how much you don't know. Right. And reading snippets of his book was like, what the fuck is any of this stuff? <laughs> like, yeah, I, Led Zeppelin's number one. Okay, that makes sense. There's some Van Halen on here. I understand. I've heard of Van Halen. Um, but then when he's like uh, listing his favorite Last Exit album, right. you're like, I, what, what, what is this? Like, <laughs> what is this music you're talking? I've never right. even heard of this. Like, I've never heard of the references you're making. Like, it, and then, you, you know, I think basically your average person at least of our generation, I don't know how people do this now, uh, they get into music somehow. Sibling, friend, mm-hmm. significant other, want to impress the guy or girl. And at a certain point, they're like on the edge of the diving board. Like, okay, I could become an enormous nerd here. Or I could just walk away from this. This is too much. <laughs> you know? Right, right, yeah. I think everyone faces that moment at some age right. where they're like, okay, I could spend a lot of time learning about some arcane nonsense here right. or or not <laughs> and money there <laughs> yeah, was a yeah. lot of money that yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't even have access to stuff like yeah. i remember in college meeting this dude who had like he was a he'd become like a jesus freak right but a few years before he was a reggae fanatic <laughs> and he was telling me about it when he was trying to proselytize to me yeah. university of virginia by the way had a lot of jesus freaks yeah. um he was like he's like yes man you know i used to i used to own 500 reggae albums, but I threw them all away when I, and I was at the time, 92, 93, I was like, I didn't know there were 500 <laughs> reggae albums. I was yeah. like, I thought there was two, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, Bob Marley legend right. and, uh, the, the, you know, um, um, harder they fall. There are more right. <laughs> 500. Holy <laughs> shit. So like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, um, so I think at a, at a certain point, I was like, um, that that appealed to me. Yeah. Um, so the Chuck Eddie. And, I, and I, you're and you're obviously the same way. Yeah. But yeah. like, but at a certain point, you go down this path, and usually you have other people that have drawn you into this. So yeah. For me, yeah. uh, my in high school, my best friend Jason Smith uh, mm-hmm. was he was on uh, the noise board as JWS. Okay. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So we both grew up in Syracuse. Um, and he was a music 
obsessive and he kind of got me into it. Um, But we would always talk about this, especially when we were in college. We're like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, why are we so into this nonsense? You know, like... Who are are some of the bands you guys were were getting into? I mean, it was classic rock. Yeah, like Jethro Tull. It was classic rock. Like... like, like, uh, yeah, like, oh, Jethro Tull. I was yeah. so into Jethro Tull. Yeah. I was so into Jethro Tull in high school. Like, if you had asked me at any point in high school, the last two or three years of high school, what is your favorite album? I would say Thick as a Brick. Yeah. Like, it was just like, <laughs> uh, you know, you buy the cassette. It has one song on each side. Yeah, yeah. I remember once going on a family skiing trip, and I was skiing downhill, and I was listening to Thick as a Brick on a Walkman. And, like, that was, like, the like extreme sports music I wanted to listen to when I was like <laughs> listening to headphones doing downhill skiing. Like I think about it now, like I went skiing with my kids a few months ago in winter and I was thinking when I was in high school, I was skiing, listening to thick as a brick by Jethro <laughs> Tull. Like what, what I was so fucking out to lunch. Like I couldn't even like explain that to most people. Yeah. Like, Yes. Well, you know, we have these things called Walkmans, and uh, I purchased this cassette, and uh, uh, it was a 40-minute concept album, and oh, don't let me get you started on what it's about. And and I thought, I didn't think, I wasn't being ironic, it wasn't funny. I didn't even know much about Jethro, I had no, you know, they were a current band. They had, you know, they were like had won a Grammy and shit. They were played on classic rock radio. Like yeah. they were not obscure to me. Um, I don't know. It's, it's so weird. Like yeah. I just think back and from like a classic rock upbringing, it's like, I don't know. It's like being a robot, being yeah. fed the wrong information or <laughs> right, something <right>. like, <laughs> I, th- I feel like most of my good friends have, have that background though. They started with, with that kind of stuff and, that's just that's what we we had i think especially where i, in, yeah. I was in the suburbs yeah. and, and some of it's embarrassing when you when you look back on it but but I th- oh, I i'm not I, the yeah. thing is like to me it's not embarrassing it's more like music was detached completely from any like in-person physical yeah. experience yeah i couldn't imagine so, like led zeppelin like the, how, there's no way i would ever be able to meet them or see them and you know or be within 20 feet of Jimmy Page or, or, you know, and now you can, you know, tweet to, you know. The other thing that was really different, and I think about this a lot, was we didn't, like, know anything about this stuff. Yeah. You would buy a cassette. So you had to buy it. Right. Unless you knew someone who would tape it for you. Yeah. You buy a cassette. I'm telling you, but you know this. Yeah. You buy a cassette and there's nothing in it. Yeah. There's no liner notes. Right. There isn't really even the album cover most of the time. Yeah. Uh, I have tapes that were like bought tapes where it was like spelled wrong. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I recently, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. last week I went to see, Ro- I went to see Robin Trower. He played oh, Portland. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And like what always cracks me up was I, I bought this greatest hits of his in high school that I used to play all the time. Mm-hmm. But on the side, it said Robin Thrower. And like, <laughs> I, I always just think of him as Robin Thrower. And I kept <laughs> looking, I was at this concert, like cracking up to myself with Robin <laughs> Thrower. I had like a Lou Reed greatest hits. It was R E A D. Like oh, these geez. were store bought. They're not Russian. Like right. they were real. Huh. <laughs> but like, you know, you'd buy this cassette. It had no information on yeah. it. 
Um, I guess you could go to the library and look up the music section that had rock books, but there right. was pretty much nothing if they were yeah. not the Who or the Rolling Stones. Right. And so you just knew no information. At least yeah. I knew nothing. Yeah. And I remember, I remember years later, um, VH1 used to show those like um, uh, behind the music episodes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember one time, my uh, Tanya's little younger brother, little brother, he's a forty-year-old man at this point. His younger <laughs> brother, her younger brother, was like telling me about having recent, recently watched the behind the music on Grand Funk Railroad, and he was like <laughs> rattling off these interesting factoids about right. Grand Funk Railroad. I was way into Grand Funk yeah. Railroad, and like. He didn't like know any of their music, but he right. knew all these like interesting tidbits about them. Huh. And I was just like, I was like, man, it's all backwards. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, all the, the interesting things, uh, but you don't know that, you know, uh, the live album right. uh, is like the most rad record that was ever made. <laughs> like, right. you know, the 20 minute drum solo and you know, <laughs> shit <Yeah>. like that. <laughs> so I, I guess in some ways I'm glad that I was forced to go into this stuff with so little yeah. information and so much, there was just so much mythology right. that yeah. was not checked. There was not fact checked. Yeah. So it was like, Oh, you like Led Zeppelin. Oh, did you know that, you know, <laughs> this and this, you know, yeah. like you're like, yeah, Whoa, so that's those. crazy. It yeah. makes me find it way more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There was <laughs> always that kind of, I remember like some kid in my high school told, or junior high said, Neil, Neil Peart had uh, needles, and when he would he would play double bass, and these needles would inject like speed into his legs. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, but of course I was 12, going, wow, really? That's crazy. Right. <laughs> and that's and you would you know you would, or like you know Ozzy throwing you know a bag of puppies into the the crowd and that kind of stuff and you know right. there's nowhere to fact check that stuff. So. I you know I I um. It's really it's really odd. When I was writing for the Phoenix, one of the things I became somewhat um, evangelical about was the the, the pernicious um, effect of Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was right, but I was wrong. Like it didn't matter, but I was right. Right. Um, which was basically that once bands started communicating directly with their fans mm -hmm. and hitting them up for money that it was all the jig was up right that was how i felt it was hard to explain why i felt that because who cares and it was whatever but like i remember thinking the bands i grew up worshiping or the artists i grew up worshiping if i if they had ever personally communicated with me in something other than a fan club mediation right i would have not liked them right yeah. um if you know what i mean and yeah. um and, and ultimately, I feel like it's because um, we grew up in a world where there was mythology, where you could build up your own mythology, and it made the music, it made up for if the music wasn't interesting, you could imagine the music being more interesting right. because yeah. the people behind it were interesting. Yeah. And now everyone just knows too much. It's odd because everyone's like, oh, this is a time of fake news and oh this is a time of everything is yeah, fake yeah. and right. the internet is spreading lies all the time perhaps but sometimes it's a little too true like you know um you know people know tidbits of trivia 
about people that they could never care about their music or care right. about them as like an important figure. And so I feel like uh, bands need to build up or artists in general need to build up this like this like mask of, of interestingness before it's all uh, deflated when you find out that they're not really that interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you inter when you interview people, they're not that interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. And, uh, and that's fine. Like by that point, you know, their music, you're the one asking them the question. Right. And so it's okay. They don't have to be, they don't have to be interested. They can just be characters. Right. Uh, yeah. And so you, you did writing, um, when you first started writing for the Phoenix, were you doing like live reviews and, and music reviews or were you interviewing artists? The, ver the first thing I ever did was I had, I, I had started doing reviews for the weekly dig when, when Mike Broder was the editor there. Yeah. Um, he left and the people that were editing after him were like terrible. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the last things I had submitted to him was I had, um, uh, we were after Medea Connection. We were in that band. We were in the band called The Hidden, and we recorded a few albums with Steve Albini. Mm -hmm. And so, um, years. This was after a couple of years after the band broke up, or maybe right when the band broke up. Uh, the Hidden did. Yeah. Um, Tanya and I were in Italy and happened to see Shellac play, mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm gonna try to interview him. So I emailed him, and I interviewed him in in person mm -hmm. after his show, and. And uh, I thought, oh, man, I've got this, like, hot interview. I didn't know how it worked. Right. Just with a pitch first. And, you know, I just interviewed him first. He wasn't playing Boston or anything. Right. There was no demand for this interview. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, Broder, I have I interviewed Steve Albini. Um, can I – don't you want to publish this? Right. I talked to him for an hour and a half. Don't you want to print 10,000 words of, of Steve Albini? And he was like, yeah, let me get on that. And then that didn't happen. And then uh, when – he, when he left the dig, I contacted the Phoenix and told them, and they managed miraculously. They were doing an issue about producers, and so mm -hmm. they printed that. And um, and I was like, wow, that was easy. Now I'm a writer. Yeah. And so there was a time before, about four years before, where for, uh, for a magazine called Boston Soundcheck, oh, yeah. I had interviewed I had interviewed Hank von Helvida, the singer of Turbo Negro. Yeah. And uh, and uh, he was very interesting. Yeah. But um but that wound up being an underwhelming experience um yeah. trying to get that. And so yeah, I was like I was always working a day job and yeah. And uh and so I I um after the Albini thing, I pitched a few other things to the Phoenix that didn't come to fruition and then eventually Broder became the music editor of the Phoenix and then I pitched him some more things and eventually I was So like one of the first big interviews I did for the Phoenix was I got to interview Getty Lee and oh, yeah. um and it was right when um Snakes and Letters had come out. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was rush at their height. Yeah. Definitely. So like <laughs> so <laughs> it was and that was like it was like a very sobering experience of yeah. like how to how to do this shit because they were like Atlantic Records tells me, okay, you have ten minutes with Ooh, Getty right. Lee and was and, that over um, the phone or was that in person? It was over the phone, yeah. and and uh, I almost completely I, I like 
I almost like lost the recording I had of it. <laughs> uh, my interview was a, a stammering mess. Yeah. I literally referred to the album as shoots and letters twice <laughs> in the interview. And, and like, I think it's so um, and arrows, what would you say? <laughs> what would you say are the themes to shoots on shoots and letters? Oh, or, you geez. know, what, oh, right. the, well, the shoots and letters tour seems like it's going really well. You know, that's kind of right. God, just thinking about it makes me upset. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, after that, I, felt like I had to had to try harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had uh, an experience with John Lydon over the phone, didn't you? Oh, John Lydon. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was, you know, it's really fascinating. Um, I feel like when um, a lot of times by the time I interviewed someone that was really not famous, but like someone interesting, mm-hmm. it was always at their... I say their saddest moment, but it's like they really need to get butts in seats yeah. for some show, right. and they're just they're just doing the rounds. And yeah. so when right. I talked to when I talked to John Lydon, PIL was doing a tour, and this would have been 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think the album was called This Is Pill. Yeah, oh, and it was actually yeah. a pretty good record. Yeah. yeah, they were they were kind of on a tear. He had a good band then. Yeah, but um, I was you know I was like oh wow I'm going to interview Johnny Rotten. Um, he he's one of those guys who just you know he picks up the phone it's some person interviewing him right. and he's just like okay i can just spout 10 minutes at a time right doesn't doesn't matter what the fuck you say right. so what i remember really well was i was like i was i was i was thrown off because he was in fucking England or whatever, so I had, or wherever he was, and so I had to Skype call him. And I was having all these, like, technical difficulties at the beginning, and so, uh, you know, like a lot of these kind of things, it's like you call their record label or PR, and they're like, okay, we will, let me get John on the other end, and, you know, I kept getting like, and, you know, I was going like, hello, hello, and, you know, it took like five or ten minutes for me to get him on the line, and by the time I got him, I was like, you know, I was on like lunch break at work, you know, and like right. in my car, I was like yeah. sweating it out. And so my first question was like, so, uh, Tony Lydon, uh, do you think that, and he right. was like, and he was like, young man, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, first of all, you're going to have to slow down. And second of all, I can't understand a goddamn word you're saying and blah, 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 blah. I was like, <laughs> awesome. So like. The thing is, I kind of love that. It was great yeah. because usually people are too polite and they're like, have no idea what you're saying. Yeah. And they're like, oh, not really understanding that question. And you're like, oh, boy. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's, but it's kind of funny. I don't know. Like the people, like people like that, um, they're interesting. Yeah. And, and he realized that um, that's kind of how they were able to persevere and, yeah, and make it. Um Oddly enough, another example of that was when I interviewed Ian Anderson, who just wrote all years later. Uh, he, too, talked at me for 20 minutes while he was, like, packing for some oh, whole tour. Geez. They were like, yes, uh, you know, um, Ian will, you know, call Ian at this time. He's about to fly off to Russia, and he's right. got 10 minutes to talk to you or whatever. And, like, he was calling me, and, like, he called me early. Right. And so what's really funny is I still have on my phone, he like left me a message because oh, he called really? 10 minutes before we were supposed to talk. And he's like, hello, this is Ian Anderson calling for Daniel. You know, 
You know, I see that you're not here, so perhaps I will call back later. Whatever, you're annoying the shit out of me. Like, you right. know, he's like yeah, yeah. really annoyed sounding. Yeah, and yeah. like, it's absolutely awesome because he's awesome. Ian Anderson. And like, <laughs> and he, oh, it's like he really talks like that. And, uh, and so Johnny Rotten was, John Lydon was the same way. He really yeah. talks like that. He right. really, he's like, and he's touchy and he gets yeah. pissed off. Like, right. I was like, at one point, I was like, I said something about like, yeah, when you did P, when you first started PAL, was the idea to like, deconstruct you know the rock punk you were doing and the sex pistols he's like deconstruct there was no deconstruction deconstruction means you're taking something apart you know i would never <laughs> dare dream of doing something like that we were building something okay buddy yeah. Yeah, use the wrong word but you, you know basically right. what I mean. like exactly. <laughs> that's funny. on the on the other hand i remember you did uh james williamson and that was a that was a, you got pretty in depth with him like like about yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I interviewed um when I was at the when I was at the dig, one of the interviews I did now that I remember it, before I was at the Phoenix was I interviewed Ron Ashton. Oh nice. And at the time the Stooges were reunited and like that seemed pretty unlikely. Right. Um and I remember at the time uh Iggy Pop did a solo album and he did like a couple songs with the Stooges mm-hmm. and then he did a some kind of tour of some kind that wound up stopping at the Alewife Fresh Pond uh, Newbury Comics. Oh, okay. I don't know if you were at that show. There was one of those no, shows where like everyone was at that show and he right. played acoustic. Oh, I remember. And yeah. like the, the fucking drummer from the Stooges was playing bongos and or on a you know on a buckets or whatever. Right. And uh, and so I interviewed Ron Ashton around that time. I think before he did that really bad album called the weirdness with um, that they did with steve albini that is basically um not a good record and um ron ashton was psyched because like you know the finally was it's that was actually a very interesting one i know this is the james williamson one you were asking about but like ron ashton was so interesting because he revealed things that I didn't know right. like he basically wanted Iggy Pop's attention for like 25 years and mm-hmm. just couldn't get it yeah like he's just rotting away doing other things doing right. like manual labor huh. and like finally Iggy Pop who you know he kept saying yeah Iggy in his mansion in Miami called me and I went mm-hmm. down and had me record a song it's like you could tell Ron Ashton could like if, while he was alive, obviously, right. <laughs> if you were like, "Hey, uh, write a song," he'd be like, "Sure, no problem." Right. Do 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 do. There you go, <laughs> Stooges. I got right. it. It's magic. Yeah. I can do it anytime you want. Like right. I'm Ron Ashton. I'm, <laughs> I can pull this shit out of my ass. I'm really good at this. Yeah. And you know, but Iggy Pop, not so much the huh. same kind of magician. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and so, I remember uh, a couple of years. It must have been 2010 when I talked to James Williamson. Right. Um, by that point, Ron Ashton was dead, yeah. and they were reuniting with Williamson, and they were doing kind of a Kill City tour. Okay. Um, and so I think uh, like a year or two later, they actually put out an album with um, with James Williamson. Um, I want to, I can't remember. It's called like Ready to Die. Right. Yes. And okay, it's actually kind of a good record. Yeah. But it's fucking fucking uh, Iggy Pop with with like um, like wrapped in like bombs holding a detonator it's, oh, it's like yeah, literally yeah. The, like <laughs> like why 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 did you do this um and what's yeah. what's even worse is like to me the best song on that record is this 
this song called Double D's, <laughs> which is like, it's like, Iggy Pop's one of those people that like, the song is so great, and you're like, God, you're such a fucking cheeseball, why do I like this? Like, it's like David and that's Lowe. how I feel about that song. Anyway, yeah, yeah like the song is so rad, and um, yeah, I can't like ever play it to anyone and be right. like, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like this perfect poison pill. Right. Um, but when I talked to James Williamson, I like, right off the bat, I was like, hey, um, when I spoke to the late Ron Ashton, he told me that the Fun City, uh, or not, that the, the Fun House lineup is the the real Stooges. What do you think of that? And like, as soon as it left my mouth, I was yeah. like, why would I say such a thing to this <laughs> awesome dude? Like, right. hey, this dead guy uh, that dem- got demoted to bass when you got in the band uh, thought that your version of the band was illegitimate. Right. What, what, thoughts? <laughs> um Otherwise, he was awesome, yeah. and like his his take on raw power is what you'd expect. That yeah. They were an awesome band, and it was hard to record it because they did not properly go the right route, and right. Um, and he had a singer who was a massive drug addict. That right. yeah. <laughs> like they were all degenerates. Right. So. Otherwise, they were like the best rock band in the world, except no one no one saw it or knew it. Right. Right. You must have found too with certain artists when they find out that the the person talking to them kind of knows what they're talking about and is maybe a fan but not you know getting too you know excited to talk to them or fanboying out or whatever you would call that. I, I feel like some artists probably enjoy that and you know it's a relief My, from just having someone go. So that how's the tour going? You know. I you know it's funny most people. <clears throat> don't want a fanboy. Yeah. But they want someone who knows a little of what they're talking about and yeah. has some insight. Right. Like okay, I interviewed Danzig one yeah. time and it was uh he I can't remember what the fucking album he put out. Like he epitomizes what a lot of artists are like, which is when they first you get them on the phone. I mean, they're handed a phone by like yeah. a PR person. Right. And so they don't know what the fuck they're gonna be dealing with i actually really feel for them you can barely hear them they can barely hear you who knows where they are half of the interviews i did they were clearly the person was in a car yeah or doing something you can hear them like i got so many interrupted by like you know oh my kid is whatever you know or you know or whatever um so many times but like danzig was so guarded yeah and i remember i asked him a question about you know like Something, some, something about like the themes of his music, and he goes, uh, he goes, oh, I think I said something about how his music was gestated. That was the word I used. Right. And he was like, oh, oh, I see. This is going to be one of these kind of interviews. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't normally talk to people who use words like gestate. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, oh, really? Hmm. And and like the funny thing was like. <laughs> I was, when I talked to him, I was obsessed with um, this videotape that came out circa the first Danzig album. It was like this home video. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It's like this Death weird Damn film Pro. of him. It is such hysterical <laughs> yeah. beauty. Yeah. And at one point, he's sitting in what I think is his house talking about his book collection. Right. So I wanted to talk to him about books and his book collection because I felt like he was more forthcoming right. when he was pontificating about his own intellectual pursuits. Right. Yeah. And so 
I wound up talking to him. But he just went on and on about like how much he loves hunting down arcane, basically conspiracy theory nonsense. That's his right. big thing. Yeah. Um, he went on all these tangent rants about Obama and <laughs> um, the, the you know conspiracies about quote unquote the Bilderbergers. You know, oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just sitting there going, "All right, Jews run the world, and <laughs> Obama is terrible," and. Um, at the time when I spoke to him, it was God. This sounds. This feels like a million lifetimes ago. There was a the Deepwater Horizon explosion had oh, happened, yeah, and yeah. so there was a, an oil leak in the Gulf of Mexico that was going on for like two months. Right. And so, in his mind, this was proof that Obama was letting it go on to appease his global um, superiors mm-hmm. to like prove to him that he was in the pocket of. Um, <laughs> George Soros or whatever. Right, Good right. Lord. Yeah. Man, it's, you know, this is, like I said, this feels like a million lifetimes ago. Right. This is like, I don't know, this is like, you know, Disney having to talk about having made Song of the South or something. <laughs> I'm like, man, I can't believe this was real. And I didn't think it was that crazy at the time. <laughs> but I, you know, but he, he, you know, he was going off about that. And then he was talking about like going to bookstores and how much he loves um, rooting around for stuff. And then he's like, you know, I got this guy on my road crew that really loves motorcycles. And I went to all these bookstores trying to find this one book. And he's like, I'm really good at finding obscure stuff. If I'm really, if I'm really motivated. And he was getting all like, like, this was like what he's really into. Right. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is the real Danzig. He's a lonely, lonely guy on tour a lot. Yeah. That, um, really, is the people he's surrounded with is uh, people in his crew and he just wants to show them that he cares about them by rooting around in bookstores by himself. (laughs) And I thought I can identify with that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I like that. I was like, I was like, you know what, Dan, even though you're a fucking nutcase, you're all right. And then 10 minutes in the conversation, you know, his PR person's like, okay, we're all done. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're like, all right, you're giving that, you're giving up too much. What are you doing? (laughs) I, 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 it's weird because, like, um, the 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 purpose of an interview for a publicity place is like you are doing them a solid. Right. You are doing something for them that they like. So there's this negotiation before you even speak to the artist, and then after you speak to the artist, mm-hmm. and you know, like after I talked to James Williamson, his publicist was mad at me that we didn't speak more explicitly about the then new triple CD reissue of Raw Power. (laughs) They're like, I thought we had agreed that we were, I was like, fuck that. I'm talking to James Williamson. I'll ask him whatever I want. Like, fuck you. (laughs) You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't work for a record company. Like, uh, I'm barely getting paid to do this. So, (laughs) yeah. Now, have you ever, uh, I know I've, I think I've suggested it before. Have you ever thought of collecting some of your writing and trying to publish it yeah i used to um i know you, you get the two i probably should i i i feel like i have if i burrowed through a bunch of interviews mm-hmm. there would be some interesting stuff the funny thing is that i had kids right and the phoenix went under somewhat in that order right and my writing changed because i cared less Right. And I became my writing became more depressive yeah. <laughs> because I was not under 
I didn't have to write for the Phoenix. So instead I could write what I wanted. And when I wrote what I wanted, it was more like, hmm, what do I want to write about? Well, hmm. Uh, You know, and then um, it becomes more of an outlet for like, you know, the feeling that the world is ending filtered through (laughs) the fact that streaming services are supplanting uh, mom and pop stores or something. And, you know, then you want, that's where you wind up. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I feel like I wrote, I feel like I also wrote at the worst time. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like it was like, everything was folding up shop, like as I was doing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I interviewed Peter Gabriel once, but like, who cares? (laughs) You know, like no one read it. Uh, I interviewed, you know, all sorts of, hyped artists and but it was like um it didn't mean what i guess i had thought i i think i thought i'm gonna interview all these people and when you step back from it you're gonna see this like really interesting story of music and the truth is no like if it's actual journalism you'd talk to a bunch of people and it would tell a story right but music is just like these weird snippets of like talking to famous people when they and their label have agreed to talk to you. Right. And, um, and so it's, it's hard to say what, what it really tells you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I'm interested in when I go back and read these things, cause I'm like, Oh, that was interesting. Right. Like, I don't know. I remember I, one time I talked to um, Robin Hitchcock nice. and it was one of those deals where the Phoenix was like, Hey, you want to interview Robin Hitchcock? And I was like, um, yeah, because no one else would. Apparently, other people only interview people that they like right. or actively. <laughs> right. I don't, I know, don't understand these people. I would have interviewed anyone. I interviewed Yanni. Like, I don't care. Like, right. yeah, sign me up. Let me put me on the phone. <laughs> so, like, I, I talked to Robin Hitchcock, and like prior, you know, the day before, I went and like listened to every one of his records. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, this guy's interesting. Um, is is someone that like I hadn't paid a lot of attention to. Yeah. And then when I talked to him, I talked to him for like an hour, and he was like, he was like this like you know philosophical guru or something. Mm-hmm. He was like, he's like you know reality is just a um, membrane that um, stretches across the gaping chaos that is ever, the machinations of the world underneath it and your day-to-day life you never know i was like whoa that's pretty heavy i hadn't <laughs> thought of it that way wow that's interesting like um but uh you know i don't know what the what what utility that is to your average person right. um di- divorced from the like publication it was in right. so some some someday but i also i don't know I feel like it inflates the value of, of it to begin with. Yeah. Um, Did you ever, I'm sure you know the feeling. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you ever, <clears throat> you were talking earlier about, you know, the mystery of artists when we were younger, and, and you, you know, you yeah. didn't know much about it. Once you started being able to actually, you know, you read stuff, but then you're taking it to the next level with actually meeting people, did you ever think you were sort of becoming part of this, like taking away the mystery of artists? By, by having to you know meet with them and actually, it's a really good question. I mean, I, you know, I um, I used to go into interviews when I was interviewing people, and I thought to myself, I'm going to ask the question that 
someone would want to know if they were a fan of this artist right. without being a jerk about it. Like, right. like, like if you get 10 minutes with Rob Halford, what are you going to talk to him about? Right. Which I did one time. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, and so I always wound up talking to them about like, how do they start? Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like the one thing that is definitely true mm-hmm. is that most people who do not play music or do not interface with the music, business in an intimate way have do not understand properly how people go from beginning to being famous right everything skips over that mm-hmm. and so and most artists themselves don't know much about it either unless they worked really hard right. so there are people who worked really hard and they will tell you i worked really hard right. <laughs> uh there are people who lucked into it um, by chance, and right. they tend to be. I had no plan. Uh, I talked to a bunch of people that had no plan. Right. So I remember I interviewed Belinda Carlisle. She mm-hmm. had no plan. Yeah. I talked to MIA, MIA. She had no plan. Um, so many people had no plan. Right. I was like, wow, oh, you had no plan. That's interesting. <laughs> um, Rob Halford had a plan, yeah. but his plan was working really hard for 10, 15 years and pouring themselves to anything right. they could until they made it. And like, you know, if the label told them to jump, they were like, can I wear leather when I jump? Right. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, all of which is acceptable. Like all of which is perfectly fine by me. Right. Um, I don't know what people, I feel like once you're reading an interview with an artist, to be honest, you are puncturing any myth anyway. Right. Um, I think when you're a kid and you live in a time where artists are mythical beings, you weren't reading, interviews with these artists or if you right. did it was like heavily doctored like yeah. the liner notes of a box set or something yeah um, or if you go trying back... to no go ahead i'm sorry oh go ahead no i was gonna say if you go back and look at like circus magazine there's like there was nothing yeah. really in there of any like value except from just pictures of artists i think the writing in a lot of those was just didn't tell you much yeah i just i feel like um most artists who are famous especially, I think if you really got down to it, they would probably tell you that they are misunderstood by people that they talk to. And what they're most upset by is people who are trying to get them to say something that they didn't really mean. Um, And I feel bad for that because it's always going to be true. Um, And I know that myself, like if I think back again on my interview with Danzig, Mm -hmm. he said all this batshit stuff. Yeah. And I was sitting there like, ka-ching, you know, like, awesome, <laughs> right. keep talking, buddy. Right. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. like, this is gold. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow, you are going off. This is wonderful. <laughs> yep. Like, you know, and like, so, yeah, I feel like at that moment, I was definitely um, of dubious value yeah. to anyone. <clears throat> because on the one level, um people like you and I could guffaw at the crazy shit he was saying. Like, right. yes, but that's because we have a perverse <laughs> understanding of someone like Danzig. Right. You have a perverse love for him. You love him, but you kind of hate right. him. Yeah. Like, you kind of like, oh, you are such a fucking weirdo. Right. Oh, you are such a terrible person. Right. Oh, but I, I absolutely love <laughs> listening to you say this horrible stuff that is so interesting. Yeah, Morrissey's another one of those for me, I would say. Like uh, Morrissey, I, you know, Morrissey, I 
love I remember he put out that autobiography. Yeah. Yep. And uh I read it very slowly. Right. Because it was like it was like drinking limoncello or something. <laughs> it was like every sentence you're like, "Oh, this is exquisite. This right. is so ridiculous." Yeah. I it's concentrated. It's like you can't just release this book. Like, <laughs> it's too hard to read. It's yeah. too good. Like, right. every paragraph, you're like, oh, this is like you boiled down to a paragraph, and then there's another one after it. <laughs> That's what talking to Danzig was like, too. It's yeah. like you have these people, you you want the essence, but they sometimes give you too much of it. Right, right. And it gives you, like, a fucking headache. It's like, <laughs> whoa, you are too, you are too much. Right. Whereas some guys are just cool dudes, yeah, and, like, yeah. they're the less interesting ones. Right. I mean, music, music culture, rock culture, it's made for maniacs. And yeah. like when you're a person just growing up and consuming it, mm-hmm. you want to be like you, you and I both did bands. Yeah. Um, at the end, of, at a certain point, you realize you aren't one of those people. Right. Yeah. I can, I can pinpoint mine too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, Tanya and I, Tanya and I, when we were doing the day, we played a show with High on Fire. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, in 2002, mm-hmm. and they played the Linwood. Yeah, and I, I interviewed Matt Pike a few times years later, and right. he's always funny. Yeah, but like, so we were hanging out with Matt Pike. Um, back <laughs> there's actually a backstage of the Linwood. Yeah, yeah, there was this little room, and so we're hanging out with Matt Pike. Matt Pike was a very nice guy. Um, he was at that time he was a pretty good looking guy. He was shirtless, long hair, wearing leather pants. Literally swigging from a fifth of Jack Daniels. <laughs> Even back and then, he was, he had, was shirtless. Yes, and re- 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 regaling Tanya and I with tales of the road. Right. And I remember we both like left left that hanging out with him, and we we're like, we can't, we're never going to make it. Right. <laughs> like we're not that guy. Yeah. Like he he has no other option. He right. is a rock star he is a rock god like he's a now he's like a toothless guy who goes (laughs) through you know like he he we i just saw him in portland high on fire play portland like last week oh yeah yeah. but he was basically making up for he canceled a whole tour yeah yeah, diabetes and i'd have a toe cut off and shit like that like he's got the most fucked up life (laughs) but like but like that's what happens when you're the shirtless long-haired yeah leather pants guy drinking from the fifth of jack that then then just walks right out and is like, all right, uh, me and these three guys all wearing matching flame pendants are going to now play high on fire music for an hour and a half. Um, like they're committed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can't stress this enough. Like, you know, at a certain point you realize like rock and roll is a committal Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like going to, prison or joining a gang or something that you know is bad (laughs) you know (laughs) like committing to something that is a bad idea (laughs) that's like what they do right and like some most people will go that's why i like the whole like steve albini 90s thing where it was all like bands should be ethical right labels should be ethical Mm -hmm. you should only hang out with ian mckay and do nice (laughs) things and like never rip off people i'm like there's a certain truth, there's a certain Spartan honesty to what you're saying. On the other hand, um, we all know that people who succeed in music are scumbags. Yeah. And like, 
and they're bad people and rock is bad and like music is bad and like committal to this is a highway to ruining things and like this is is what our (laughs) parents told us like it's all true like like, i feel like um i feel like sometimes i totally felt that and like just thought like i'm not i'm not like i i couldn't even if I did this, I would be like the kid smoking cigars with right. Pinocchio. It turns into a donkey. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd metaphor. But... Yeah. So you're not playing any music at this point, right? Even the... <sighs> no, yeah. not really. Yeah. I, I, if I play guitar for 10 seconds, my yeah. kids are like, oh, it's too loud. <laughs> so someday, yeah, yeah. someday right. it'll happen. Yeah. Someday. Nice. I, I don't know. I mean, um, it's weird. I, I feel like um, you have to, whether it's writing about music or or playing music or even just being like a music person, you have to like commit um, something that you will get nothing out of. Right. You will not be rewarded, even if you're a big fan of music. You if, you know, the music's the reward. I remember once talking to. Uh, buzzo for the melvins oh, yeah. maybe in 2011 mm-hmm. he was always funny yeah and it was right when like you know everything was tanking and becoming streaming and he was yeah. talking about putting out records and he yeah. kept being like yeah we're gonna have to everything we put out is gonna be some 30 dollar oh. vinyl <laughs> yeah. specialty hoopty hoo he's like he's like you know if you want the music hey the music's always free because it's all about the music and we all love the music. So the music's always free. But if you want the thing, you're, we're going to rip you off. Cause right. like, that's all we can do now. And I was just like, man, man, <laughs> man, like he's right. But yeah. like, Ooh, yeah. painful. Like you, you to hear like someone, especially someone you like, like their, their whole thing. You're yeah. like, Oh, <laughs> I have, you have been destroyed yeah, yeah. somehow by this. You have been decimated because, like, a system that you thought would go on forever didn't. Yeah. And uh, and then, I don't know. Then it's been eight years since then, and I'm like, fuck it. That's the world. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the way of the world. Like, yeah. that's how we're, that's what we're all like looking at. Like, this thing that we thought would go on isn't. And um, grow up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's harder for it's harder for some things than others you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right man well i am going to uh, wind this down uh i thank you for for taking the time to do this man it of course fun uh, of course it's it's great to catch up chris and, and uh we'll have to chat another time not on record It'll yeah be fun. yeah definitely